I'm going to read from Ephesians 4, verse 25. In fact, I'm going to start from verse 20 and read just into chapter 5, as far as maybe verse 4. It says, You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. And the word there for knowing Christ is the word learning Christ. And in Greek, it's the word for discipleship. You did not come to be a disciple of Christ in that way. Surely you heard of him and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Wow. (laughs) It doesn't get more down-to-earth, everyday life than that. Previously in Ephesus, we saw in the first three chapters what God has done to create a new humanity in Christ. We saw, this is now the fourth message in chapter 4. And we saw, first of all, a message about unity in the first half a dozen verses. Then we looked at the gifts, the A-Pest model, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. We then looked uh, the last time at how right thinking leads to right living. Paul said in 4.23 that we are to be made new in the attitude of our minds. How we think will affect how we live. And now, also last time, Paul talked about this change of clothes. Put off your old self, put on the new self. And so that's the the heart of uh, of where we're going at today. Forgive me that I keep looking around. I don't have my screen beside me. I don't know what's going to happen up there. Um, You put on clothes that are suitable for what you're going to do. Yeah? 
uh, you, depending on the occasion or the event, you will, you will choose a certain, a certain set of clothes. Um, in our house, there's frequently uh, a phrase uttered, which is, son, get ready, we're going soon. <laughs> um, and he then runs off to his room. And <laughs> no matter where you're going, no matter what the weather's like, he comes back like this. <laughs> Every single time. <laughs> you know, full kit. Shorts, socks, the works. He just, that's, that's how he returns. And you're like, no, son, it's minus five and we're, we're not going to be running around. And he gets sent to put on more appropriate clothes. You see, we choose clothes for a certain occasion. And what Paul is telling us in this passage is that our behavior, our clothes, must be consistent with who we now are in Christ. He started the chapter by saying, walk worthy of the calling that you've received. Live a life, put on an outfit that is consistent with who he is and with who you are. And he tells us to take off negative things. As we go through these verses, there are things that he says you must put those things off. But we don't then just run around in the nip all the time. I have a photograph here. No, I don't. Um, we, 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 we have new clothes to put on. All right? We've new clothes to put on. We've put off the old negative and we're putting on new things. And sometimes people will say, we want to hear practical sermon. We want to hear something we can apply. And that usually means that there's something wrong and they want three steps to put this wrong thing right because it's annoying them. You know, how can I fix this, this person or this situation? And a practical sermon frequently means, you know, how, what can I do to change that situation? This is a practical sermon and it's about changing me. <laughs> and it's about changing you. It's about God changing us, not changing something else. And I want, I want to throw two questions out at you at the start that I'm going to come back to later on. <coughs> do you want to be a worshipping community? And do you want to do outreach? Two questions, just hanging them out. And I'm going to come back to them at the very, very end. Do you want to be a worshiping community? That's what God has called us to be. And do you want to do outreach? The first thing that Paul talks about, and he actually talks about it throughout the passage, is speech. He says in verse 25, put off falsehood, lies. And put on truth. Speak truthfully. In the kingdom of nature, animals make all sorts of weird and wonderful noises. But the only ones that can talk is those that have been made in the image of God. It is a gift and it reflects him that we are able to speak. And our speech can do immense damage or immense help. The tongue, James said, is a very powerful thing. He says, like the tiny little rudder underneath a huge <coughs> ship. And as it moves, this tiny little thing moves. It can cause massive effects. <laughs> and Paul is actually quoting here from a verse in Zechariah where, where God talks about a time of renewing whenever his people will be marked by speaking the truth to one another. You see, the, the parts of the body don't lie. If your feet are moving your body towards the edge of a cliff, your eyes will get a message to your feet to stop. 
Your eyes won't tell your feet a lie. Your eyes won't tell your feet to just keep on walking towards the cliff. It's okay. The body will not lie to itself. One part will not lie to another part. It is all one. And it is all trying to protect itself and look after itself. And Paul also later on in the passage talks about slander. In verse 31, he lists some things and he, and he uses the word slander. And in, in, in Greek, we'll get to the Greek in a minute, what, what slander means in Northern Irish talk is this wonderful word, slabbering. Where we tell lies about people to damage them. We misrepresent them in order to do them harm. And actually what it really means in Greek is Satan. Satan's name, Diabolos, the devil, means slanderer. Slanderer. And Jesus could have called Satan the father of anything. He could have called him the father of lust. He could have called him the father of abuse. Could have called him the father of greed. But Jesus chose to call him in John 8, 44, the father of lies. That's what breeds from Satan. Slander and lies. And if we are lying and slabbering and engaging in that tremendous sort of Northern Ireland spectator sport of criticizing other churches which is so so common who is it that's standing by applauding us you know who is it this is what came to mind when I thought of that some of you will resonate with it or not Tremendous scene in, in one of the Batman movies where there's just this sarcastic clapping going on in the background. Whenever we slabber and criticize, who is it that's standing by applauding us and saying, well done? What father is it? It's not our heavenly father. The father of lies will stand by and say, well done. Go you. Go you. You're doing a great job. Keep it up. So we are to put off falsehood and put on truth. And he's still talking about speech. A little bit further on in the, in the chapter, in, in verse 29, he says, literally he says, put off rotten talk. It says in my Bible, verse 29, don't, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. But the word in Greek literally means putrid It's like rotting fruit. Don't let rotten talk come out of your mouths. Instead, put on talk that builds people up. So take off that dirty, rotten garment of rotten talk and throw it to the side of the road and put on a new garment of talk that builds people up and encourages people. It's not just that negative speech is wrong and we're to stop doing it. We're to actually start actively using our tongues to build people up. Do you do that? Do you do that? Do you go out of your way to just encourage people? Not with just insipid, you know, 
sickening New Year's or one, but actually really, truly just just making a point to send to somebody, you, know, you, you did that really well. And maybe nobody's told you, but you did it really well. And maybe you've done it really well 20 times before, but I just want you to know that I still appreciate you doing it really well. Okay? Do we do that? Do we encourage people? I, the, one, one of the greatest examples of encouragement that I've actually seen in, in the last month came from an atheist teenager. Um, <clears throat> I had done a, a talk in school with a group of boys about pornography, which is a whole whole world of, of, uh, of just challenge. <laughs> you know, 40 teenage boys in a room and you're talking to them about pornography. <coughs> and later that day, I was walking through a different room and this kid was there and there was, about, there was maybe about 10 or 12 in the, in the room. So he didn't just talk to me in the corridor on his own. And he said to me, he said, sir, your talk was really, really good this morning. Thank you. It was really, really interesting. Thanks for doing it. And I, I just was taken aback because I know this kid's an atheist. A pretty, you know pretty firm and, and he knows he knows he's an atheist and he's and he actually and I thought I am so encouraged <laughs> right now I mean I'm encouraged by a 16 year old atheist and it's great encouragement is a good thing folks speak it into people's lives tell them when they're doing well don't just assume that they know proverbs 12:18 talks about again about our speech and it compares you know rotten speech and wholesome speech. The words of the reckless pierce like swords. You just feel yourself being jabbed again and again. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. How far back do you need to go in your timeline to think of when you last encouraged somebody and said, you know what, you're really good. You're really, you're really, you know, not just you're really good, but you know, you know what I mean. Far back, you know, do you have to, you have to sit and think, mm, I wonder did it do it? Was it yesterday? Was it Wednesday? Was it last week? Do you know what, if it wasn't in the last 24 hours, I think there's something wrong. If we're not intentionally speaking life to people. <coughs> and he goes on to, to talk about speech again. Uh, a little bit later on in chapter 5, he says, and again, this is wild practical. Let this just hit you. He says in, in, in verse 3, <coughs> Among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking. Just let it sit for a minute. How easily do we lapse into <coughs> humor that is not appropriate for God's people? The reason I can't watch much comedy on TV, and I love a good belly laugh, but the reason I can't watch much of it is because it usually just very quickly descends into vulgar, crude sexual humor. And you, you can't stick it. Actually, remember this is quite extreme, but I remember pledging money one time to Comic Relief, and then I phoned them back and I cancelled it. You might think that's extreme, and it probably was extreme. But the, I was watching, and the nine o'clock watershed came, and the change in content after that was just shocking. And I said, "I'm sorry. There are other other people who who can use this, who can use this better. Get vulgarity and sexual crudeness out of your sense of humour." Do not speak of sex as a joke, 
But in verse 4, at the end of the verse, as something to be given thanks for. Put off vulgar talk. Put on thanksgiving. We are new creations in a new society. That's what we've learned in the first three chapters of Ephesians. And we should have a new vocabulary. Our words should be different from what they were before. Proverbs tells us that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Paul has really majored here on how we talk. We do these discipleship groups, some of us, and, and you're welcome to join one, form one um, if you want. We, f- we think they're, they're, they're really useful. Um, but one of the questions we, we ask each other each time we meet, and there are a whole load of questions, about nine questions, and some of them are, in fact, all of them are pretty brutal. But you know the one that, that we find every week hits us more than any other one? Have you damaged another person by your words behind their back or face to face? And there are questions about every imaginable thing, but that's the one. That's the one that is the challenge more than any other. And remember, this is all about discipleship. Back in chapter 4, verse 20, learning Jesus, being a disciple. So speech is something where we need to put off an old garment and put on a new garment. Anger. He talks about anger and he he says to put off, or in your anger, do not sin. Put off anger that leads to sin. He doesn't say put off anger. Please note that. He says put off anger that leads to sin. And he says instead, he says, don't let the sun go down while you're angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. In your anger, don't sin. Put off unrighteous anger and put on righteous anger. There's a massive difference. Unrighteous anger damages people, hurts them. Righteous anger will stand in front of people and protect them. Unrighteous anger hurts. Righteous anger will defend. And there is such a thing as Christian anger and we need to maybe feel it a little bit more. David wrote in Psalm 119, hot indignation, that means wild anger. (laughs) Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. David looked at the world around him and he got angry because of wickedness. He got angry because of abuse. He got angry because of neglect. He got angry because of brokenness and power. He got angry with what he saw. But in your anger, Paul says, don't sin. That's the hard bit. Don't don't let your anger lead you into sin. Don't feel bad that you feel angry. (laughs) All right? But don't let your anger become sin. And that's, again, nitty-gritty, real life every day. Don't let your anger become sin. Don't let it fester into hatred. Don't let bitterness start to grow inside you. We're still lifting parsnips in the garden from last year. And the size of them is unbelievable. They're under the ground about that long. Monstrous things. Huge. And you can't pull them out. You've got to dig them out. They're that big. But it all started with a tiny, tiny seed round about last April, which then developed into a little root, which then suddenly grew into something that you can't actually pull out without a spade. 
Don't let bitterness into your heart, folks. Just decide to get rid of it and move on. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. So if you're angry, move to Iceland where it's daylight for like six months of the year or something and, and you can be angry all you want. You know? <laughs> Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Deal with it. It's a, it's a great verse for marriage. Don't go to bed angry. When's the last time you felt the freedom of releasing someone from your, from your anger? Don't nurse it. Apologize. Reconcile. Make the call. Meet for the coffee and talk. Don't let it fester. Deal with it. Identify it as a root that will grow in your life and it will destroy you. It really will. All your, your decisions and all your moves and everything you do will be affected by this root of bitterness that has grown from anger. And he says, don't give the devil a foothold. As we allow anger to fester in our lives, the devil loves it and he's able to get a foothold. And again, thinking of this film last night, amazing what that guy was climbing up that rock face on. I mean, you're, you're talking about little tiny bits, just little changes in the shape of the rock that aren't holes. They're, they're just like the rock maybe is sticking out millimeters and he's able to get his toe on it and get a grip of it. And the devil's able to do that when we give him the slightest little bit of anger to get a hold of. Don't give him a foothold. We have these discipleship groups that meet every week. I don't know if I've told you about them or nearly every week and um, find them quite challenging. And there's another question that gets asked every week. Have you continued to remain angry toward another? It's really good knowing that you're going to be asked that. Have you continued to remain angry towards another? And we laugh and say, ah, just the devil. Uh, and then we think, no, maybe we've continued to remain angry about other people as well, not just the devil. Who is it? What is it that you're angry about? Will you allow the devil to climb into your life, into your relationships, or will you make a decision today to let it go and in your anger to not sin? So put off on righteous anger, put on righteousness, a change of clothes. He talks about money. In verse 28, he says, if you're, you who are stealing, don't steal anymore. Put on hard work, put on generosity. It's not just that stealing is wrong. You think, you know, lifting money from some, or it, it's, it's if you're employing somebody and you're not properly rewarding them and looking after them, you're a thief, you're stealing from them. If you work for someone and you're not doing your job honorably when you're meant to be doing it, you're a thief because you're stealing money from your employer that he's given you for working and you're not working. That's stealing as well. And we have a duty to work hard. And the, the motive for working hard, I love this in, in verse 28, it's not just that you can get more stuff. You know, there are times in, in the past where, where we found ourselves in, in a tight spot financially. And as we pray, we're like, Lord, help us out so that we can bless others. Not just so that we can get some oil or whatever, but that we can then bless others. And he says, Paul says in 428, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. That's a good motive for going to work, isn't it? That I would have something to be able to actually bless somebody with. The joy of blessing someone else. Remember that Jesus called men from their workplace. He 
called men from the fishing boats. He called men from the tax collector's booth. He called men from various places, but they were workers. They were workers. And I think if we're going to be useful to the church and useful on mission, uh, just being able to preach isn't going to cut it. We need to know how to work. He goes on to talk about kindness. Put off on kindness and bitterness. Towards the end of chapter 4, put on kindness and love. And he lists things at the end of chapter 4. He talks about bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, every form of malice. He says, get it all off. Get it all off. <laughs> brawling, that's shouting at people. That's, that's, that's just raising your voice and getting angry and getting verbose with people. That's, he's put it off. Don't talk like that to people. Even if you feel justified in doing it, don't do it. And instead, at the start of, or in, in verse 32, put on kindness, be compassionate, be forgiving. And Jesus is the example, as always, in that at the end of verse 32, just as Christ forgave you. You're not getting more practical than that. This is not about you going away and having three steps to carry out so that somebody else will change. <laughs> It's about the Holy Ghost changing you, changing me. And it's a lifelong effort. This is a hard message to preach. It's a hard message to preach. Because <coughs> you really realize you're still a work in progress. The chapter, chapter four started with, with unity. Live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. You see, when we live like, like what we've just looked at today, when we live like that, we maintain unity in the body of Christ. We strengthen unity. The things that we are told to put off are things that destroy unity and destroy relationship. The things that we are told to put on develop unity and strengthen relationship. I don't know if you can audit university courses in the United Kingdom. Has anybody ever heard of that? No. In the States... Um, you hear about people taking a course for credit or for audit. And if they're taking the course for credit, that means they receive the teaching, they do the assignments, and they get a qualification. If they're taking the course and they're just auditing the course, that means they just receive the teaching and they don't do anything. It's cheaper because they're not getting a qualification and no one's marking their work. They're just going to hear the teaching, uh, but they're not actually going to get anything for it taking the course for credit, taking the course for audit. It's impossible to audit the Christian life. You can't just come and hear the teaching and not do the assignments. Jesus wants you to hear the teaching, do the assignments, get the qualification. And this is real life. And I don't, this has challenged me and if, if you're sitting and there's nothing that we've gone through there that you have that you haven't been challenged by you know wake up whenever you're ready like this is real nitty-gritty everyday life i want to point out just a couple of things before i finish in the middle of all this in verse 30 do not grieve the holy spirit of god with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. See, the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not some random force floating around. He is God. He is God. Every bit as much as the Father is God, every bit as much as King Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is God. He is a person and he can be grieved. 
And Paul tucks this in in the middle of the passage, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Our speech can grieve him. You ever said something then immediately afterwards, you just feel it. You just feel it and you just know you've grieved him. And you maybe then lift the phone and say, listen, I'm sorry about that. Or been angry, let your anger fester and you just feel this grief within you. And it's God mourning inside you. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. His stamp is upon us. If some of the kids from, from school get up to mischief downtown after school, it's still a school issue because they've got their uniform on. So our code of conduct applies to the kids as long as they've got their uniform on, it applies to them. Don't put any pictures on social media of you in your uniform doing stupid things. Don't walk down the town and have a fag when you're in your school uniform because you're breaking the code of conduct. You've got your uniform on, you're representing the school. We are stamped with the Holy Spirit 24-7. We've got the uniform on, representing him. And we grieve him. We grieve him whenever we behave in the way of one who is still wearing the old garments rather than putting on the new garments. And in Ephesians 5, 1, it says, be imitators of God. That sounds wrong, doesn't it? <laughs> Imitating God. But it's not. It's not wrong. Kindness is the way we imitate God. Wholesome speech that builds people up is the way we imitate God. Putting away unrighteous anger is the way we imitate God. And I really had a challenging thought to me as I thought about this. If people thought I was imitating God, what conclusion would they come to about God if they watched me for a week? Again, just let that sit. What conclusion are my children coming to about God if I am the imitator of God? Is God too busy? Is God angry about nothing? Is God stingy and tight and not generous? What a calling to be imitators of God. And whenever we say we are followers of Jesus, then we are telling the world, I am imitating God. Look at me. This is what God is like. They're not, and we've said this before, they're not going to lift their Bible and read it. They're not. Well, they might, but they're very unlikely to. They're going to watch you. They're going to watch you. And you're going to tell them, and you're going to show them what God is like by your actions. That's an immense responsibility. And without the power of the Holy Ghost, we're not going to do it. <laughs> we're not going to do it. So, do you want to be a worshipping community? Do you think that just means singing? Look at the end of chapter 5, or sorry, start of chapter 5, end of, of verse 2. Verse 1 says, Be imitators of God as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. All of the stuff that we've read in chapter 4 is about community. It's about how we speak to one another, how we deal with anger, kindness. It's all to do with community. We want to be a community. And in chapter 5, verse 2, I believe at the end of the verse where it talks about Jesus being a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, Jesus is held up as the example of, 
of living a life of love. And it's an act of worship. And I hope you can put this together the way I'm putting it together in my head. To be a worshiping community does not just mean getting together and singing real loud. It means living out that life that we've just talked about in community. That's an act of worship. When we love each other, we're worshiping God. Do you get it? Worshiping community. Living this life that is a sacrifice unto him with one another. And do you want to do outreach? Surely, if we live in the manner of Ephesians 4, 25 and beyond, is that not the best outreach you can possibly do? To go and show people what God's like. Is that not the most effective way to communicate Jesus to people? Other events and things, those are all fine. Those are all good. That's grand. But what will affect my kids that I teach more if I put on a show some night here and invite them to it or if I just live that sort of life in front of them? Do you want to be a worshiping community? Do you want to do outreach? Live like that. (laughs) Live like that. And the world will want to know why you live like that and how you live like that. Let's pray.